Welcome to another episode of Follow the Brand. I am your host, Grant McGaw, CEO of Five Star BDM, a five-star personal branding and business development company. I want to take you on a journey that takes another deep dive into the world of personal branding and business development using compelling personal stories, business conversations, and tips to improve your personal brand. By listening to the Follow the Brand podcast series, you will be able to differentiate yourself from the competition and allow you to build trust with prospective clients and employers. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Make it one that will set you apart, build trust, and reflect who you are. Developing your five-star personal brand is a great way to demonstrate your skills and knowledge. If you have any questions for me or my guests, please email me at grant.magaw, spelled M-C-G-A-U-G-H, at 5star BDM, B for brand, D for development, M for masters.com. Now let's begin with our next five-star episode on Follow the Brand. Welcome to the Follow Brand Podcast, where your journey to personal and professional excellence begins. I'm your host, Grant Gall, the CEO of Five Star BDM, and your guide to this adventure of innovative and business and technology. Today, I would like to introduce a guest who is not just shaping the future of AI, but is also redefining the landscape of cybersecurity. Meet Felicita B.B. Sandoval, a trailblazer whose name is synonymous with innovation and ethical technology. B.B.'s journey is one of determination and brilliance, from a foundation in finance to becoming a leader in AI. Her path has been nothing short of inspirational. Fifi's work stands at the fascinating intersection of AI and cybersecurity. She has been instrumental in developing AI-driven security systems that are not just effective, but also ethically sound and inclusive. Her commitment to using technology for the greater good is a beacon of hope in an industry often clouded by concerns of data privacy and ethical use. In today's episode, we will dwell into how Phoebe's unique perspective as a fraud investigator has empowered her to design AI systems that are several steps ahead of cyber threats. We will explore the nuances of AI ethics, the challenges of ensuring unbiased algorithms, and the importance of diversity in tech. Phoebe is also a passionate advocate for mentorship, firmly believing in nurturing the next generation of tech innovators. Her insights today are not just for tech enthusiasts, but for anyone who believes in the power of technology to change the world for the better. So let's welcome Felicita B.B. Sandoval to the Follow Brand Podcast, where we are building a five-star brand that you can follow. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Follow Brand Podcast. I'm your host, Grant McGaw, and I am here talking to what I want to see more of, and that's a young professional, someone who's involved in technology. She's had a, had just been wonderful what she's been able to do. She's had a P, she's going after a PhD now. She's got a 
4.0 like perfect score in her previous cause, which we're going to talk about. And I want to see more people participate. We're going to demystify some things in the cybersecurity realm and artificial intelligence. I happened to actually meet her at a AI forum that we were talking about legal uh, ramifications and the ethics in AI and how this is all going to move forward, talking about compliance, talking about regulation. And here she is. And I said, hey, I want you on the show because you represent a part of our demographic society that needs to be more involved in our technology platforms, because this is the way going forward, doing more and more interactions, whether it's business or, or personal, as well as professional. So I'd like you to introduce yourself to me, if you don't mind. Oh, thank you. Thank you for everything you just said. I love it. Uh, well, my name is Felicita Sandoval. Uh, you can call me Fifi, but I am a, a, a GRC analyst, a security GRC analyst at Lightram. And what we do, what I do is that is a risk um, a governance, risk compliance. So that's what I do. And it's in the realm of cybersecurity. And uh, well, I actually, I didn't start in technology. Before I started working in cybersecurity, I was, I just started in finance. I was a teller at a bank. I was 19 years old and I moved up to a personal banker. And then I, after seven years in the financial institutions, I had decided that I wanted to become an investigator. And I started working for the government as a fraud investigator and also um, for a few banks as an anti-money laundering analyst. And that was fun. But my end goal was to be an information security auditor. Because at that time, we didn't call it cybersecurity. It was just information security auditor. And then cybersecurity kind of came along, that word, and everybody was talking about it. It was the craze. But you make a few good points. When At that time, I was a little bit afraid because I am a woman, you know, and I thought about it. I'm a woman, a woman of color, Hispanic. So I thought, I don't think I have a chance. I didn't really know any women in cybersecurity, let alone a, uh, a woman of color. So it took a lot of courage for me to say, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to the master program. I, I was taking my master, so I'm going to get my master's in cybersecurity at that time, and I'm going to make it. I'll, I'll, I'll make my own opportunities if I have to. And that's what I did. I finally was able then to uh, become a cybersecurity uh, analyst, uh, GRC at Lightroom after I got my master's degree and now I'm in my doctorate program. So, Well, you make it sound so simple, you know, <laughs> and I know it wasn't because the first, Alex, I'm impressed with your educational background and your uh, attainment and understanding of all these principles. I think what the, what, what intimidates certain people is they're like, wow, I need to have all this uh, experience in mathematics or I need to be adept in science and, and all this real techie stuff. And I'm just, oh my God, there's no way I'm going to be able to pass and become a cybersecurity professional. Just help us demystify some of these things and help us understand what you learned as you went through your program. Uh, well, you're completely right at the beginning. Even I thought before I contemplated on getting in, I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it because I am, you know, in my head, I was like, I'm not good at math. I'm not good at science. I am not going to be able to, uh, be a par with all the intelligent people in that community. But um, it was the opposite. Uh, I think that as you get more mature, 
um, you start realizing that you have a lot of potential. You just have to be confident in yourself. But it is a hard road. You know, it is hard. And you have to, I always call it, you have to meet organizations in the middle if you want to get into um, cybersecurity or in the tech industry and actually any industry. You have to do your work first. You have to research. You have to study. You have to take courses. You have to believe in yourself. And you really have to fight hard, especially if you're a person, you know, a person of color, uh, different uh, religion or, or um, different race. So it is very important to work hard for that. And then uh, networking, too, is very important to communicate with people. But after you go through all the obstacles and um, learning lessons and uh, teaching yourself, as well as going to school, because school is only one resource. You really need many resources to make it. And that's what I did. I went to school, but I also networked. I also took my own courses online. Um, I also researched, and that's how I was able to make it. But you could just feel confident and don't, don't think that because you don't know or you were not good at a subject like math that you're not going to be able to make it. That's just going to take you back, and it's going to prevent you from actually going towards your goals. Oh, man. Well stated. Well stated. So we've got to get involved because anybody brings a wealth of experiences to the table. Your background, your understanding, your intellect is what is needed in the tech space. And now that we're morphing with what we call artificial intelligence. So what I, I coined this, I've been in information technology for 20, 25 years. Now we're doing what I would call intelligent technology. Information technology is almost like very reactive, very reactive. Whereas intelligent technology is very proactive. It's engaging you, your human intellect. That's intelligent technology. And that leads to insights. So we look at those three eyes. And we were both, again, at that particular form. And what I liked about it is that it started to really look at that our laws, and some of the things we have in, in society, our, our pillars of how we do things are starting to change and morph into something completely different. Even when we talk about finance, we talk about operations, and we talk about how we get things done, that technological layer is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Talk to me more about what you're understanding. What are you seeing in the landscape in the future as you move forward? Um, it is being integrated, AI is being integrated in every part of society, in our organizations, at home, uh, in our education. And I see a lot of um, good things going that are going to happen and also concerns. So the good things are going to be that we're going to have, uh, if we're going to talk about um, companies, you're going to have automation, uh, you're going to have Time you're going to be able to save time by using some of these tools that are going to uh, that you're able to use that time to create more products to um, to actually have more money revenue in order for you to actually hire more people. But um, also the concerns are you know any vulnerabilities that are that are going to be uh, acquired by using these uh, AI technologies, the data that we're going to be acquiring like big data. So you're going to have large scales of data and that also is uh, brings vulnerability. And I tie that down to society um, because, you know, when you're signing up on a website or when you're actually want to have access to these tools, like I'm just going to mention ChatGPT because it's the most famous one. 
you are giving your data away. So now I'll take that back to what I said home, where if I'm here and I'm like, oh, I'm going to use ChatGPT to help me create a, a presentation, I'm putting all this personal information there. And so that also brings issues because you have to think as a professional, you have to think, uh, is my data being stored? Where is it stored? Uh, who is this going to be shared with? But then as a regular person, nothing to do with work, you let that happen because you're not thinking about it. Like, for example, my mom, my mom is not going to think about none of those questions. She's just going to use it, create her little TikTok presentation there. Right. And um, she just gave a bunch of her information. So I see concerns, but I also see that as professionals like you and I in the in the industry, in this space, we need to help people and society by creating policies, frameworks, um, and guidelines. Um, not only for organization, but for people, because this is going to be AI is everywhere. What you said is so important. I remember when social media really got hot, you know, like 10, 14 years ago, and people were definitely putting a lot of what I would call private information out there, not realizing this is a public forum. And it's out there for years, not just that day that you felt you know, a certain way you put this information. Now, a lot of people still do that today, but I think there's a lot of awareness and understanding is that this is a public platform. Understand that it's public knowledge, not private knowledge, you know, so unless you're in a private group and things like that. So the same thing with utilizing these generation, generative AI tools, whether it's ChatGPT, whether it's Bard, Claude, and some others that are out there, that you are putting information out there into the public. So yes. with that understanding, what you are you okay with what you're you know typing into that application? If you're okay with it, fine. If if it's very proprietary, you need to look at those things. And I know you understand about digital hygiene <laughs> and why that's so important. Help our understanding, our audience understand some of those guidelines, some of the things that you look for in your world of doing regulation and compliance and risk and things of that nature. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, one of the most important guidelines, and I think that uh, or frameworks that we all go to uh, and we're familiar with is the NIST uh, framework there. They have so many different uh, functions and, and areas that you can go into cloud, AI, um, cybersecurity, just so many things that you can actually go and take from that. Uh, the same thing as um, following ISO uh, ISO standards as well. Um, there are many different um, regulations as well that you can follow, like GDPR, CCPA, that they can give you a little bit of guidance. And I think that um, there is, uh, when it comes to artificial intelligence, there is a lack of, I believe. So... Yes, we do have a lot of policies on information security, and we can mention them all, Google them, and you can find them. But I think AI is still very, uh, it's not mature, it's premature. That, I think that's the word. And that's where we're lacking, and we have to start creating uh, those uh, policies or guidelines to be able to follow them. Like, for example, as, uh, something that we're doing right now in a lot of different organizations uh, because of the lack of these policies is that you're, we are creating groups, AI groups or committees within the organization that are able to assess the AI services or tools that 
uh, we want to use within the organization. And within that, as you review those products, then you create conditions. Like the team creates conditions on like, yes, you can use this tool. We're going to approve this. However, you're not uh, able to uh, place uh, sensitive data, uh, intellectual property. So that uh, is something that we have to be, that we have been building in different organizations just because of the lack of guidelines. And uh, even if you follow regulations, and I know regulations are not guidelines, but um, there's a lot of good information, like GDPR, a lot of good information there, especially when it comes to data um, or privacy. And those are also good uh, to follow um, as well. I One of that I actually like a lot um, because they're so advanced, I believe, is uh, EU. They have uh, an AI, uh, they're working, well, they have an AI Act, but they're working on also uh, regulations. Um, and I think that they are advancing. I do enjoy what um, they have put in the table for us in, in regards to AI and, and, and best practices is what we call. So I do recommend going to uh, like EU privacy uh, or Googling EU, EU privacy and you will find a lot of uh, information on that. Um, but right now they need us. They need us to create them. Absolutely. They, and, and we have to be mature about it because we have gone through the you know, creation of the internet. We've gone through mobile computing, cloud computing, social media. We've got a lot of good experience now. So AI should not be that new. It's a great tool, but we have to know how to utilize, just like any of those. If you've got a vehicle, guess what? You've got to learn how to drive, and then you have responsibilities by getting that driver's license. If I've been you know, so aptly reminded that driving is a privilege. You know, so you have to understand it's a privilege. So these things we're going to get to, I think we'll probably get to them a lot quicker than we have in the past. But just understanding what you are doing in that space. You bring up another good point about you are engaged in a lot of groups, associations. You are gaining knowledge and experience and networking. Help our younger technologists understand what they need to do to begin to grow their particular brand and become even more uh, well-known and to get more exposure for their expertise? Yes. Uh, so I love that area um, because I I was, at the, you know, before I actually was one of them who I didn't know where to go or how to start my career. What I suggest, the first thing I suggest is network. Networking is so important. And please... My advice when you go and you start networking, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to uh, put yourself out there to approach executives, to approach um, professionals who you think are, you know, they're like, oh my God, no, I'm not going to approach this. They are people. This is something that I learned from my mentor. It's like, they're people. Just go to them, talk to them, engage that conversation. So do that. But then also, research. And whenever you hear something, if you're interested in, in cybersecurity and you hear a term, something that you do not understand, research it. You know, go to Google, uh, read articles um, about it. And you know what? Now ChatGPT exists. Go to ChatGPT and ask it, what is, I don't know, a learning uh, machine model? What is this? What is a learning model? What is a um, what is a GRC and what is a GDPR? Like you have to go ahead and do this for yourself. So you start getting um, acquainted and you're able to 
engage in conversations where you're together with these professionals. Um, also, another advice that I want to give is be confident. I know it's hard sometimes because you feel like if you're a young technologist, you feel like I don't know much. So how am I going to talk to to all these professionals surrounding me? It's okay. Nobody is born knowing. Uh, you're not. You're not. You you know. So just approach them and ask questions. Be curious. Listen. Like you have to listen. If you don't listen, that's going to be a huge problem, and it's going to take you a long time to reach your goal. So listening, asking questions, and the last thing I'm going to say is there's nothing better than asking dumb questions because. Once you start asking those questions that you think are dumb, those are the best to weed out because then you, you get the response and you're like, oh, okay, got it. So now I know exactly what I need to know. Like you already, you check yourself, you're checking yourself, you're checking your intelligence at that moment. And you'll see after you ask all of those questions, dumb or not, you're going to see a progress in your, um, in your intelligence and in your intellectuality in the subject that you're learning. And people are going to gravitate towards you and then they're going to treat you like an expert as well. Ready to elevate your brand with Five Star Impact? Welcome to the Final Brand Podcast, your gateway to exceptional personal growth and innovative business strategies. Join me as I unveil the insider strategies of industry pioneers and branding experts. Discover how to supercharge your business development, harness the power of AI for growth, and sculpt a personal brand that stands out in the crowd. Transform ambition into achievement. Explore more at firestarbdm.com for a wealth of resources. Ignite your journey with our brave brand blueprint and begin crafting your standout five-star feature today. Exactly. You're on par with them uh, because and everybody has certain experiences and understanding and intellect and the insights that no one else has. And that's why it's so important to share. This is why we're on this platform today. Because I love sharing the stories of others. This is how I learn. This is how I get educated. I get, I get like, wow, I didn't even look at it like that. That's interesting. And I know when I was there at the forum that we were at, and we were talking amongst these different, they were not just engineers, they were lawyers, right? So they're big into uh, you know, the regulations and compliance that aren't existing, but they really wanted to frame a story. I want to get your take. What did you learn from that particular forum? What really resonated with you that you'd like to talk to us about? Um, Oh, my God. I remember we had fun in that that meeting. It was awesome. Um, But my take was that we're still, I feel like we're not ready to um, have advanced technology because we don't even have regulation on AI. So I feel like there's a lot of work to do, but then you start, you have to start somewhere and that's what's happening. So I'm glad that we were there with lawyers to understand more of the legal uh, battles that are happening right now, or the issues that are coming on with uh, intellectual property. For example, those questions that they were asking in the comments about who owns what the uh, artificial intelligence um, tool is giving you, like, chat gpt when it gives you the output who owns that you know and you could argue well the company right uh, open ai but it's like no but they got that data from you know like uh, you know uh, uh public uh so who really owns this work or who really owns the image that you're creating when you're painting it and do you should you 
um, have a uh, a statement saying, "Hey, my I use ChatGPT or reference ChatGPT for uh, your work." Um, so yeah, that is very um, that I took that very seriously because I know that's where we're heading at. And then on top of that, when they were talking about more advanced in the future, as if we have to give rights to AI um, in the sense of, and I imagine what they were talking about is more of like you have now an AI, an artificial intelligence uh, um, that is far advanced and that is able to have some sort of emotions or maybe mimic emotions as humans. And they're going to want to be part of society as well in the sense of having rights. That is wild, Grant. That is wild. I don't know. What do you think about that? Because I'm... Uh... You no, know, and I have, I have, I do have, I would say, my opinion on that, and that is just like saying my car has rights, like has emotions. Like it's, I'm like, I don't think so. You know, it's, wow. It, I don't think it's sentient at all. It might in an AI. Yeah, it can mimic a lot of things. And I had the same conversation. Actually, I, I commented on someone's uh, uh, post that they put out there, and they were talking about. You know, the same thing is that what is sentient, what is intelligent, what is consciousness? And I said, look, when I look in the mirror, I look in my own mirror, see my own reflection, and I'm talking, is that reflection intelligent? Is it conscious? Is it in, is it sentient? Is it alive? It's a mirror. No, it is not. I am the living reality. That is just a reflection of my own intellect. So, you know, Generative AI is just a reflection of the somewhat of the totality of human intellect. Is it alive? Does it have consciousness? Does it does it need actual rights? I'm going to say no. It's a tool. It's a it's a machine. I think we're a little bit overboard with that one. That's my opinion. I agree. I agree at hundred uh, percent. And I think the only way that it will change is if we do reach uh, um, a way into having this generative AI or sentience feel the same as humans have consciousness, which I would love to see how uh, that's achieved. Um, then that is different. And then we'll have to start thinking like, you know what? Yes. My robot now is named Linda and I will have to then have her rights because I, you know, I love my robot Linda. So yeah, it's, um, it's hard and we'll get there when we'll get there. I don't doubt anything anymore. I feel like we can do anything. <laughs> We could probably go round and round in that discussion, but to your point, it's still there's certain there's certain rights that we already have intellectual property. That's a that's a right. You can't go around damaging someone else's you know uh, a property, right? You damage it. Yeah, there are there are already laws with that. But then there's ownership. To your point earlier, well, who owns the, the intellectual property of artificial intelligence? I'm not sure. So that's a different conversation. But to say something is living or something is not, I, I think we need to come to a hard, hard no on that for me. <laughs> that's, that's just that's, my opinion. But we can definitely debate around the legalities and regulations and everything else of how the use of some of these uh, intelligences are, the emotional qualities. But I always say that it is a mimicking of of, re, of of reality, not reality of itself. So we need to really make a hard line on that. But I want to continue on because I want our communities to really engage with the tech. Talk to us about 
what happens, you're in the world of data, data privacy, data governance. You see the data that's out there. If you don't have a certain amount of data or data that's not coming from a certain group, does that skew the data or not? And what's your opinion on that? Yes, 100%. It would uh, make a big impact. Um, I will give you an example. Something that happened uh, using uh, artificial intelligence for court cases. So the judge um, had, um, when you want a, a sentence uh, uh, to do sentencing, they were using AI. And what happened was that they were sentencing, the AI was sentencing more people of color longer terms that, than uh, the white color. So um, I started kind of digging, it's like, what's going on? Because a lot of people were arguing, well, that it, there's bias, of course, and that has to be with the engineers, and maybe we have to have more diversity, which is 100% true. We have to have diversity in the engineering room. However, I thought, you know, there has to be something more than that. And I had spoken to one of um, a machine uh, learning engineer, uh, very, very smart. And I asked him, hey, when you start, when you're creating these models, what is the test that, you know, what testing data do you use? And he said, well, that case, the court case, they use testing data from the 70s from Alabama. Of course, it's going to be biased. Bias. Of course, it's going to be biased. So, um, you know, there were, you know, there was a lot of racism. So, of course, the, the records, were more of black males in jail, you know, than white males. So that's why uh, when they had acquired that testing data, they didn't QA it. They just used it and they were excited about creating this tool. And that's what happened. So I believe that we have to put some QA controls in place for when we are creating these models and we have testing data. And there has to be someone assigned for that. So human oversight. In order for us to be able to have um, to lower our biases and be able to have these tools function more properly, um, in my opinion, in regards to that court case, I think they shouldn't. I don't think even courts should be using that right now yet. I think we need to still work on it um, and making sure that we have rich data. Which, when you were talking about data and how it's huge, like you have to also think that um, data is not easy to. It's easy to get, but not for us. For companies, because if you go to Google, they're able to get your data. You're adding it to the Google search, right? Um, if you go to ChatGPT, you're entering a lot of data. So it's easier for them. But um, in order for them to get rich data, like personal information, PII kind of thing, then um, it's a little bit more complicated because we have regulations. We have the GDPR. You have to abide by the CCPA or the Virginia. There's also a, a, a Virginia privacy law. So you have to abide by them, HIPAA as well, right? So it makes it a little bit difficult for what they can obtain. And that's why a lot of these tools are still not as mature. But um, what I have, I, I read in OpenAI that I think what they're doing now is that they're um, doing business with a lot of organizations and they exchange services. It's like, we will do this service. In return, you will share your data. So that now is going to be fed into this AI models and that's going to be even more like these tools are going to be even more functional. Yeah, no, then that's true. And then there's certain things around this bad data and good data. That's what I don't think a lot of people realize. There's a lot of bad data. I mean, it's just incomplete, not factual. It's not true. 
the machines don't know that. They just get a lot of data because it's predictive analytics and it's ones and zeros. There's no real thought behind if it's reality or not, not at this point. And and we've got a lot of work to do in that respect. Now, there's a lot of good data out there. You can That's why you can tell right now, I think AI for simple searches and whatnot will give you usually 80 to 90% accuracy of what it is. Still, 10 to 20% is not accurate. And if you're doing it for medical research, that's big. Or you're doing it for a law research, well, 20% is not right. Well, that's huge. Like you're just saying, that could have, and if you're using that as the, quote unquote, the benchmark of how we're going to do business or hand down sentences or things of that nature. That's something to seriously consider. So always step back and understand that the data or the output that comes back is under consideration. It's not something that's in stone. Look at it, verify it, massage it. Maybe it's a template of knowledge, not knowledge of itself. It's just a regurgitation. Now, that's what I'm saying. We're moving and we're still in that finite world of moving from information technology to intelligent technology. And that's a transition. And we still have a lot of information that was what you would call or data that was in that information age. That's just not good. But as it moves into the intelligent technology, age, it'll get better and better and better. Yes. And that's and I absolutely agree. And I see it also in the part of, for example, medical, uh, the medical industry. Um, when you look at how they use AI for certain functions, um, I feel like it's still not completely ready because if you think about the data that they acquire, health industries to be able to uh, use AI for like diagnosing uh, certain um, autoimmune disorders or diseases, let's just say, the data that they get is the data from already sick patients. And in order for you to have good data, you need to have data also of healthy patients. And that's how you get results. But only having sick patients, if you go in for a, um, a checkup and you're using an AI tool that, you know, someone had created, it's probably going to tell you how a cop is going to tell you, oh, yeah, you have three days to, you know, to live. And you're like, wait, what's going, what's going on? It's because it's not comparing it and it's not reaching off with that uh, data also of healthy people to be able to make a good determination. You just probably have a cough. You know, that's it. So um, there's a lot to work on. Yeah, no, you, you, you complete data sets. That's so important. We're getting there. That's what cloud computing has allowed us to do to really merge a lot of different large, that's what they call it, large language models, a lot of big data together to get to what we call generative AI. And then in the future, it'll be uh, artificial generative, I think artificial general intelligence. And that's what we're getting. But what does that mean, general intelligence? You have to understand it. That's like, all right, you have a five-year intelligence of a five-year-old from a computer standpoint. So it's not so mature. And that's what we're talking about, the maturity level. We're going to get there, but understand where we are right now and how to utilize these tools and everything else. We're going to, we got to just one more question we want to get to as we close. And that question is really for you. As you look back now and where you're at and where you were at before you started this journey into cybersecurity, technology, deep technology, deep thinking, all of these things that you're doing now, if you could go back and talk to yourself, that 19-year-old person, and advise them 
about the journey they're about to embark on, what would you say? I would just say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because you are as smart as you like as you can be. And because I, I remember a lot of my fears were, I'm not as smart. I'm not as smart. I'm a woman, a woman of color. Nobody's going to uh, hear what I have to say or what I have to bring to the table. And that is complete ignorance as being a young person, because it's not true. There is a lot of people that want to hear what I that wanted to hear what I had to say, but no one is, um, they cannot guess what you're thinking. No one can guess anything about you. You have to show it to the world. You have to really um, be confident in yourself and say, hey, I am going to do this. I don't know anything right now, but I know I'm going to make it. So I would say that to myself. And I will also tell myself there to do even the impossible. If you don't know how to code and you look at all of those, all of those are different uh, programming language. And you're like, I'm going crazy. I don't think I can do this. Do it. Go take a course, uh, get together with a friend, go to three, just do it. And you'll see. Uh, one thing that I did when I was, uh, before I got into cybersecurity is that I dared myself to go to a CTF. So if they captured the flag. And I remember, I was like, before I even get into cybersecurity, I want to try this. And I was actually working and I had gotten out of work and there was like a local CTF event. I saw it on event, uh, Bright. And so I went in, I, I took my laptop and there was all these people, you know, they were hacking, excited, a bunch of cables. I'm like, oh my God, this is okay. Uh, I'm nervous now, intimidated. And I sat down and I remember the first um, prompt to get into and, and, and get your flag. It was just to get into, you were on the terminal and you just have to go and, um, and go into your, uh, desktop and just get a file that was created there. And there was your flag. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to navigate the command line. And I was like, Oh my God, this is too, this is so difficult. And I told myself, you know what? No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. So I will research on Google and that first one that I got, when I did it, I felt accomplished. I was like, oh my God, I'm a hacker. Of course, no, I was like, I'm a hacker. I, I made it. I'm, I'm so good. And it was so funny. Um, and then I remember it was like 15, the capture the flag was 15 uh, different uh, questions to get to the end. I only did three, but those first three, I was never able to get past that. With no experience, I went home like a winner. I was like, Okay, I'm gonna get in this because I'm a hacker. Everybody, I told my mom, my brothers, <laughs> and it was hilarious. But that's when I started believing in myself and saying, you know what, I do have to dare. If we don't dare to do it, then you're gonna be scared your scare your whole life. And people around you do not know. You know, they don't know. They cannot guess how you feel. You have to express it. Hey, Grant, I need you to help me with this, or do you think you can give me a little bit of overview of that? Trust me, a lot of people are more good than that, and they will be. They will help you. They will help you. Don't be afraid. Oh, man, I couldn't have said that better. That was a great story. That, see how you got that confidence and you believe in yourself. Even before you took the classes and the courses, you just said, let me just make sure I have, I have what it takes to, to, to get to that next level. And I would take that first flag, boy, man, look at you now, right? Look at you now. I mean, you actually get your GPA. Tell, us, tell the audience what your GPA was. Oh, my GPA at that time was a 3.6, 3.8, I'm sorry, 3.8. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, so that's pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she actually knew what she was doing. That's pretty yeah. high. That's pretty good. I really, yeah. really appreciate you being on the show. This has been wonderful. Let, let the audience know how to contact you on LinkedIn. Yes. Yeah, so you can go to LinkedIn and you can find me Felicita Sandoval. And um, you can also find me on Instagram, the, the AI researcher as well. So you can find me there. And if you have any questions, uh, you can feel free to DM me on LinkedIn. I am more than glad to go ahead and and, uh, and answer back uh, and give you any advice that I can. I'm always uh, available, even if you see that I don't answer right away, but I will always make sure to go back and, and help anyone that needs uh, any assistance or any, if you need somebody to cheer you up, I'm here. <laughs> well, I'm glad you are here. And I advise everybody in your audience, they can see all the episodes of Follow Brand. That'll be at five star. That's the number five, five star BDM, B for brand, D for development, and for masters.com. This has been wonderful. Enjoy your 2024. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for joining us on the Follow Brand Podcast. Big thanks to Full Effect Productions for their incredible support on each and every episode. Now the journey continues on our YouTube channel, Follow Brand TV series. Dive into exclusive interviews, extended content, and bonus insights that will fuel your success. Subscribe now and be a part of our growing community, sharing and learning together. Explore, engage, and elevate at Follow Brand TV series on YouTube. Stay connected, stay inspired. Till next time, we will continue building a five-star brand that you can follow.